Welcome to Bipolar Inquiry, drafting and crafting bipolar consciousness since 2016 by philosophizing, relanguaging, and harvesting mania's special messages, meaning visions, extraordinary experiences, ideas, insights, superpowers, possibilities, synchronicity, and parallel worlds. The Bipolar Inquiry podcast is not meant to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Information discussed on the show is not medical advice. Now, let's get started with this episode. idea to create a campaign around each person owning their own story and their own interpretation of what is happening for them when they're diagnosed with a mental illness. So for example, for me, I was diagnosed with bipolar 1 with psychotic features and though that may be medically very helpful and convenient, it's not very helpful for me in my own life story in that if I take on that story at the very core of my being, it's actually going to be quite limiting. And it actually invites stigma and it also invites a lot of self-stigma. And I feel from my experience that it's actually very important to, after a certain point it's difficult to do this initially but for me after a period of grieving the loss of my former self I was able to um, have some level of self-love despite having a diagnosis the opposite of that would have been getting engulfed in self-stigma which is labeling and judging myself which is a form of hating myself. And instead, I decided to, in my own heart, feel like what, even though what was happening to me wasn't exactly favorable, I chose to take a lighthearted approach and laugh at myself and laugh with myself and laugh with people and and make jokes about myself and make fun of myself in terms of having a diagnosis so i decided okay it's kind of funny that i was diagnosed as crazy especially because i knew in my heart that i i'm not so that's why i was able to do that but if i really believed that i was i'd probably be sitting there feeling shameful and start isolating myself from people because i'm too ashamed to go out where I decided to always be open about it and kind of laugh at it as if it wasn't as it wasn't that serious. Um, sure, I'm crazy, whatever. And that approach helped me heal because, for one, I never took on the diagnosis to heart to begin with. I did, but I, I put it aside and decided to be lighthearted instead of um, instead of being like oh my god, I have this mental illness, I was able to be lighthearted about it. And that reduced a lot of the heaviness that I can imagine I would have felt had I not been able to do that. And that's not the way everybody wants to go about it, understandably. It's like, at the in the worst of the worst of it, it is not funny and it's not lighthearted and it's not easy and it's not something to laugh at or laugh with. I've had terrible experiences over the past five years and in as recently as a couple months ago, I didn't know if I was going to make it through that episode of psychosis as it's known. Um, that's not really my story about it, but that's the easiest way to communicate about it right now in the present time, unfortunately, um, as that's a medical term. And at that point, it wasn't funny and there was nothing to laugh at. And just getting through one single day of a period of about three weeks or so was virtually impossible. I was in the hospital. I got to a point where I was in so much internal pain, anguish, and torture and terror that I nearly ran away from the hospital and a friend on the, I was talking on the phone to a friend because I was outside the hospital on a pass 
convinced me to go back and it was very difficult because I just wanted to run. And then I probably would have been tracked down by police and it wouldn't have been a good scene. It would have just made things worse. So I really had to, it took all my strength, even though it appears nothing's really going on on the outside. It took all my strength to get through those, those few weeks. And then when I did get through it, um, on the other side, I'm, I'm kind of okay. And I'm able, even, it took a while before I could look back on that and not be very angry. So I wasn't laughing. So even though that is my general approach, it is actually not funny at a lot of periods of time. And what sucks is for some people, it's not funny pretty much most of the time. And that's terrible. And I don't know what can be done to change that. And one of the things is actually protecting ourselves from the story that we're given. We're given one story. This is a chemical imbalance or this is some kind of brain disease and disorder. You can have it for life, you know, lifelong medications. You won't be able to do much. You know, they're changing the story slightly now and saying, oh yeah, you can recover, but you'll still be on meds. You'll still have, you know, relapses. So it's a little bit different story. It's a bit more hopeful, but it's still a very disheartening story. It's not a story that anybody wants to hear. And in my feeling, it's a story. It's not the ultimate truth. And even if it is the ultimate truth, the stories we tell ourselves are going to change how we experience the situation and they're going to change the outcome of our lives. So if I accept the verbatim story of what I was given, then that's almost like saying you're never going to have fun, you can't enjoy yourself. Um, by, by choosing a humorous attitude towards myself, I gave myself permission from the very near the very beginning to at least have fun along the way because I found myself in a situation I never thought I was going to find myself in. I lost my mind, I lost everything and I didn't know if I was ever going to be able to trust myself again or get myself back to a version of myself that I actually liked and in order to do that I had to decide that I was going to have as much fun as I could from the very beginning because I was immersed in the mental health system. I was living in supported housing, so I had access to some programs, and I decided, okay, I'm gonna take every opportunity available. Um, you know, a big part of me, a huge part of me wanted to say, screw this, I'm not taking the medication, I'm not gonna participate in anything. And then I probably would have ended up homeless on the street or, or maybe living at home with my parents not taking medications and they would be just not knowing how to help me and I wouldn't know how to help myself. But instead, since I was in the housing, I did take the medication and I did participate in all the programs and I did meet a lot of kind-hearted, fun people to, to laugh with and to smile with and to just have a normal time with and it wasn't really the life that I would have chosen but it was the life that I was immersed in and that I had to choose to participate with even though that wasn't it wasn't my paradigm from the very beginning when they said you have bipolar one with psychotic features and I was sitting in the hospital for the first time I'd only been there for a couple of days and they were telling me this about myself when I'd been with myself for 28 years and they were trying to tell me they knew more about me than I did. Um, I didn't buy it and I didn't say as much at the time. I didn't say anything. But I was thinking in my heart and in my mind, that's not it. That's not the whole story. So I like to think of it, that's not the whole story. That is a story, and that is a story that I decided to go along with because I chose to, not because I believed it. 
and I chose to because that's pretty much the only story out there available to actually get some kind of help and it might not be the exact help that I would design for myself but I didn't design the system and I don't think anybody that experienced or has experienced any kind of mental health distress challenge issue diagnosis has experienced it um, basically people that have experienced these things did not design the systems that care for these experiences and if we did it would probably look a lot different and there's something to say about that I think that together if we actually got our minds and hearts together and talked about some of the things that we experienced and envisioned for a better world or at least knowing that we've been through the system how we can make it better the system is starting to listen and it might not change within our lifetime uh, but you never know uh, things can change really fast nowadays um, but I can imagine that I would want a better system for if I decide to have children or for my nieces who are just young little girls right now if they you know heaven forbid or whatever cosmos forbid experience some kind of challenge like this at some point it would be wonderful if there was a different response to it if there was a different understanding to begin with and that would facilitate a different response to people in these distressing things and there's so much about that that it's I could probably talk forever about it but I started out talking about I don't even know I think I got a little bit off track I wanted to actually talk about um, I'm not sure I have to think Actually, I have trouble thinking. Oh yeah, I was talk I wanted to talk about the story, but I sort of went into a tangent, which happens, and I was talking about the attitude I decided to adopt in order to deal with it was I guess it's an attitude I I'd adopted to deal with the story that I was given because I never had a chance to say what I felt was going on for myself. I was just told what was going on and I was never asked, so what do you think is happening for you? Maybe I was asked about symptoms I was experiencing but nothing to do with what I thought that meant for me. And there was no meaning making out of it. It's just meaningless. It's a meaningless mental illness is what it is, is what I was told. And I felt like the experiences I had had a lot of meaning, but I decided to go along with the paradigm I was given because there are other things out there, um, different healing modalities that I probably didn't know about at the time or the ones I did know about I probably didn't have the money or the capacity to really get involved with it so I could have said screw the medications I'm gonna see a naturopath that helps with mental health and take the time to get things in order that way but that would have taken a lot of support from somebody that was able to be with me and it would have taken a lot of money as well. So the paradigm that exists, that is created and is available for people, that is most covered financially is the mainstream mental health system. And I decided I didn't even have the capacity or energy to fight that at the time. And even though I wanted to, because when I was hospitalized, I went in as a 100% raw vegan. And I'm not saying that as in, oh, that's the way to be in life. I'm saying that as 
that's how I was in terms of I didn't want to take in chemicals and foreign substances into my body. I didn't even want preservatives from canned food, let alone medical drugs. But I, well, when I was put on drugs in the hospital, I gained 50 pounds in two months because of that and eating a lot. So it makes, the drugs made me really ravenously hungry for really, really poor diet choices. And um, so I went vegetarian instead of raw vegan. And yeah, 50 pounds in two months. And um, so I wasn't like super healthy after that point anyway to be, actually one of the, that was one of the things I had to grieve the most was the loss of my super healthy raw vegan body, mind, spirit. And then all of a sudden within overnight, I was medicated and eating a lot of Subway sandwiches as, as well as the hospital food, which was not very tasty, but if it's there, I ate it. Um, so what I'm saying is that's the attitude that I, and the way I decided to look at the story I was given, which was, okay, now I'm diagnosed as a crazy person. I actually really like the word crazy. So for me, it wasn't offensive to call myself a crazy person. Um, so yeah. I actually kind of liked playing the role of a crazy person. Before that, I played the role of raw vegan healthy person and then I was put in the role of crazy person. And that was okay with me, especially with the way I decided to feel about it, which was, this is kind of funny. This is kind of ridiculous. This is kind of unbelievable. And luckily for me, I was lucky. I had a lot of support around me because I did live in supported housing. So I did have people to laugh with about it and and um, knew what I was joking about because they were either working in the system or part of the uh, peer group. So it was a lot of fun actually and it was almost like you know starting over and it wasn't the best way to start over but it was a way to start over and I don't think I would have had that attitude had I been able to tell my own story about what I thought was going on and I feel like that is part of the campaign or whatever is there's the one story of mainstream mental health which is the diagnosis and the drugs and the chemical imbalance and the disease of the brain which may be true let's assume that it's a hundred percent true that doesn't mean that there's no meaning in any of the experience and there's no other stories or interpretations that go along with it from a subjective personal point of view even a person that say has um, a stroke you know that is sort of that's a disease that's something that happened according to mainstream but some people in that have a stroke have these incredible subjective experiences and stories that they come out with later and I'm thinking about that lady who wrote the book my stroke of insight I watched her TED talk I haven't read her book but she had all these incredible experiences so even if it was a disease and it is a disease and is pathological that she had this stroke she still extracted and extrapolated a lot of meaning out of it and so one does not exclude the other so a person could believe could choose to not believe the mainstream story 
of biological brain disease or they and they could have a different interpretation they could think nothing's wrong they could think something's wrong with the rest of the world nothing's wrong with me or and there's a lot of people out there that choose not to take medication choose not to participate in anything that has any indication of mental health services and I think that's pretty courageous actually because I wasn't able to do that myself and I can't say that I would have preferred to do it that way in retrospect knowing what I know about what all the great things that came my way from just surrendering and participating in the system um, so I wouldn't choose to not in retrospect I wouldn't choose to not take medication I would still have taken it if I know if I knew my future, I would say, yeah, I'll take it because there's going to be so many awesome things. I'm going to meet so many great people. Because the thing about mental health is a lot of amazing people work in the system because you have to be kind of amazing to choose that as your line of work. People with like zero heart rarely choose to, to, you know, to serve or to work with that population. So lucky for me, I met so many great people that have visited me in the psych ward when I end up there. And I had one experience where I was feeling the worst. It was a few months ago when I was in the hospital. It was the worst day of my visit to the hospital. It might have been almost one of the worst days of my life in terms of how hopeless I felt. I was in the worst place. I felt like I'm not getting up to eat today. I'm not even gonna get out of bed. But I had a visitor just before lunchtime. I missed breakfast, wasn't gonna get up, and I had a visitor just before lunchtime. And it was one of the workers, it was the manager of the clubhouse that I attend, and she just came by and I went out to visit because I didn't know who was out there waiting for me. And we had a visit. I said I was feeling awful, terrible. Probably visited 10 minutes, give or take. And when she left, it's like I felt recalibrated. I felt like... I felt almost back to myself. I felt like the self that... If I was at the clubhouse, if I was outside in society and I had seen that woman and we had had a talk, I felt like that version of me that I would have been. So what I'm saying is her conversation with me, just coming to see me, brought me out of the depths of despair and back to that version of me that she sees of me, that she knows me to be. And it was kind of a miracle. Because then I just, lunch came, I just ate my lunch. I didn't think, well, I'm gonna go back to bed. I was like, oh my God, like all of a sudden I feel so much better and I just went back, I, I ate my lunch, I went about my day and I had this sense like, yeah, I know that I had decided I was gonna stay in bed all day, but now I don't need to. This is great. Like I feel so much better. And that was just, amazing to me and I was so thankful that she came to visit me at that moment it was like an answer to my prayer if you can say prayer and it came in just a totally unassuming way just a visit from somebody that I've known for the last five years because I'm connected to the uh, clubhouse mental health system and you know that was just so having those people and those connections in my life you know if I would have been going in and out of crisis on my own just connected with my family who probably over time would have been very very tired of what was happening for me and I don't know if they would have 
put up with it if I chose not to take the help that I was being offered. I don't even know what would happen. Um, but I do feel that I can at some point transcend the need for the mental health system. I'm still working on that. And I feel like So back, back to the story thing, just because I have this little diagnosis doesn't mean that there's no meaning. So when I was saying the example of the stroke and then somebody having all these amazing experiences that they can then share once they heal enough in order to share them, and they're saying, wow, there was all this meaning in it, like, oh, it's amazing. And we listen, we're like, wow, that is so cool. Yet if somebody says, wow, there was so much meaning in my psychosis, we're like, what are you talking about? That's just more symptoms of illness. And I feel like there are, there are, you know, there are symptoms, I guess, which just means what other people see or what other people can discern from what a person that is experiencing it is reporting which are you know a few things you know a questionnaire to decide if somebody is in that state of psychosis and maybe the symptoms are the same or a lot of them are the same but the inner meaning and the subjectiveness of the experience the details are different but often a lot of the meanings are the same too so I feel like there's that one story from mental health, the system, but there's probably infinite stories from the persons who experience thing, these things. And, and a lot of them are, they're interesting. And if anything, they're interesting stories whether or not they happened for real or whether they just happened in someone's own subjectivity like you know I could interact with a real person that was actually there and have some meaningful thing this hyper meaning that happens because I'm in mania or psychosis as it's called or I could just have that hyper meaning looking at a tree or maybe I could have that hyper meaning because I saw somebody that actually wasn't there. Later I find out that person wasn't there or that didn't actually happen in physicality, but something still happened inside. So whether these things are, are real or not is not really the question as much as the stories that happen or the stories that come out of it or the stories that people tell as a result of that experience just like a story somebody might tell after they um you know were lost in the woods and ended up nearly starving to death maybe they'd have stories a person that goes through a psychosis as it's called or mania they have stories too and i don't think all of it is to be feared as pathological some of it is just to make meaning out of the experience and whether it's caused by a brain disease or just it could just be a natural phenomenon like dreaming like some most people dream every night and maybe some people dream while they're waking or have dream elements mixed with while they're waking and it could be just a natural phenomenon and even if it is a disease it's a natural phenomenon and a lot of people when they they have a disease of some sort they try to make meaning out of their lives so even if it's something like cancer a person realizes what's important in their life because maybe they might die and with psychosis there's a lot of meaning involved in it because a lot of it actually feels like one is dying and it's confused with physically dying when it's you know, there's a lot of internal subjective dying that's going on. And so, you know, hyper meaning in those experiences. But the thing is, we're not 
encouraged to talk about the meaning. We're not encouraged to talk about our experiences. There's no psychotherapy for people that go through this in terms of what is covered by mainstream. And even if there was, if the person hadn't gone through it themselves, I don't know how useful it would really be unless they were trained as a transpersonal psychologist. So there's a lot to that. Basically, there's the mainstream story of brain disease. And then each person that had gone through the experience and then got that diagnosis of some kind, some people are like, oh, that explains it all. I can forget all this stuff that I was, all this wandering in my brain and stuff. And I don't have to think that that meant anything because it was just a disease. It's okay. And that's cool. That's fine. It's whatever somebody finds helpful. And I, what I'm saying is I don't think everybody finds it helpful for that to be the only story. And if a person says, oh, that's helpful, like I have a diagnosis now, that means I can get medication, access to different programs that are going to help me move on with my life. But still, there was a lot that happened for me that had a lot of meaning that I'd like to share or I'd like to talk about. And I feel that it would be valuable to share that and to talk about that. Because a lot of people get a lot of meaning out of sharing stories and there could be some really good stories in there that we're missing out on because we're assuming that by labeling it a mental illness we forget and then we talk about a lot of people now are being very brave and courageous and and sharing their story of recovery and maybe some of that is what they experienced but a lot of times it's what I experienced as a symptom or these were the bad symptoms and experiences I had because of my 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 illness and I feel like that's valuable too everything's valuable and it's whatever somebody wants to share and however somebody wants to see it but my question is if instead of saying this is your diagnosis people genuinely were asked with curiosity and openness. So what do you feel is going on for you? Like, why do you think you're here if somebody's in the hospital looking at a doctor or somebody? Maybe only delirious stuff would come out, but at least a person would feel like they had some say in what was going on. And it would even take a while for people to feel comfortable sharing because when a person is in that situation and they know there's this impending diagnosis coming, they know not to share too much of what's happening. So from a person that's gone through it, the amount that I've being able to relate of what I feel happened for me and what it meant, it's probably a very small percentage because it's not an open conversation that's asked about and invited. And I just inherited the story. And perhaps the story sometimes perpetuates it, what it is that the story is about and I feel it can be received in a different way uh, that would might be more helpful for people and even if it's not helpful in terms of whether or not it's scientifically valid like it would off I'm sure it would be helpful because when people feel validated heard listened to cared about so much more healing takes place just with that then, okay, let's watch for a few symptoms, give a diagnosis, and here's your story. Now go and recover. Recover from the story that we just gave you because we don't have the time to listen to you. It's a very cut and dry, simple story. And 
Maybe the system won't have time to listen to us anytime soon. But maybe we can listen to each other. Or at least talk to ourselves on, on video. And maybe put some of it out there so people can see that though lots of it is pathological and it's not it's not necessarily happy stuff there is a lot of there are some bright sides to it and the trouble is that oftentimes an experience of a person from the beginning of anything happening to being hospitalized the happy stuff is is first if there's happy stuff and it's wonderful and it's beautiful it's magical and then there's a period of like alternating between happy and awful stuff or just pure awful and then when the person can no longer stand the awful stuff that's going on inside um, that's when a person might be arrested or um, hospitalized or ambulance or you know any number of things that indicates that the person was basically barely able to survive inwardly and outwardly so the happy stuff is further removed from the crisis and then a person gets help supposedly during the crisis and then after in sort of the fallout in the initial stages of recovery a person's barely able to survive still and and then maybe there's a point at which the person's like wow there was such a beautiful period of time like where did that go how do i get that back and it's like wondering but it's so far removed that it never gets really the happy experiences and meaning never really gets integrated into the overall picture often and it's just sort of forgotten about and then maybe a person's like oh I can't wait to be manic again in the case of bipolar disorder and I feel like I feel like those meanings and experiences can be looked back on and maybe harvested in certain ways to to see what meanings things had in order to integrate that meaning into a person's life in the recovery period if you want to call it recovery not just oh my gosh I have to avoid all these terrible symptoms the bad ones and oh, I can't wait for the good ones, but taking some of that meaningful stuff and putting it in as, as like a baseline. And um, if a person was asked about what's going on for you, blah, 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 in the very first contact of whoever's helping the person or trying to help, maybe some of that would come out like, oh, I really feel like a spiritual connection with the universe and um, I'm really concerned about all the trees being cut down and then you know blah 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 I started hearing these mean voices and now I can't function so what I'm saying is all of a sudden you see oh a person really wanted to connect with that thing this like thing about trees so maybe if we design that into the person's process of coming out of the bad like designing some of the good that was there but is usually only asked like in terms of delusions of grandeur or you think you're so special because you heard these special messages it's like did you hear special messages uh yeah well I actually lied I said I didn't hear special messages from the TV because I was scared that they knew to ask me that I was like how do you know like this is another kind of special message um so I was freaked out but It'd be one thing to say, do you have special messages? Like, you think that you're having messages from around? And it's another to be like, well, what were they? Let's talk about some of those special messages because some of those special messages 
could actually be messages in terms of it could actually be something important in a person's life or even if it's not at least it's something to to take a look at so instead of being like well you had this thought and these things let's fix these through let's fix all these bad thoughts through cognitive behavioral therapy it's like well what were your good thoughts what were your special messages and maybe they were special messages and maybe it's not healthy to always see special messages every second of the day because like how many messages do you really need like, do you really need a special message every second of every day for the rest of your life that would be overwhelming but if a person experiences special messages for a week or a day or a month or you know they're in a different state and they see special messages for one day maybe they were special messages and maybe they weren't like maybe the feeling of the specialness is a little too special but maybe they were and to take those and to sort of make note of them if a person can remember which is more likely at the beginning of the crisis when someone's getting help because when everyone when a person's in the special message phase and the happy phase they're not generally seeking help it's usually after a period of time when there's been too much of it too many special messages too much synchronicity too much we're not designed to live in that amount of energy we don't have that capacity at least not yet we're not designed to live by synchronicity we don't have just a backpack we're not all minimalists that just walk around and plant ourselves wherever we seem to find ourselves on a given day so the society's not designed for it so when a person gets to that point where they're feeling like they want to be that like they're responding just to the synchronicity in the moment eventually it's got to stop and and usually it stops because it gets to be overwhelming or all of a sudden there was a synchronicity that was friggin terrifying and that could just be the sign that could be the sign or the special message that it's time to get back to reality and unfortunately getting back to reality you know it's like if you climb a really really steep mountain and you like you get to the top and you're really happy and that's sort of like the up phase well now how the heck do you get down if you don't have any equipment of any kind and it's like how did I even get up this mountain like how did I even climb this how was this even possible it's like a miracle that I got up here and then going back down um, you know it's like it's gonna be a miracle to get back down to reality and I feel one day it's possible that there'll be a certain number of people that are able to exist in that higher energy synchronistic state but it's not how like society's got to be designed that way too it's got to be designed to appreciate that and value that and to allow for that right now as it is we have to have an address if like if you don't have a permanent address you're like a homeless person and, and you know one family per building and there's legislation like you can't just live whatever wherever and do whatever and that's sort of how a person that would be in mania would live so what I'm saying is you're going into that synchronistic realm which is sort of an inner it's an inner realm of meaning right if I was walking around and I'm in this synchronistic realm it's within me and other people aren't necessarily knowing that that's what's going on for me that I feel wow the world is so beautiful and special and and this is so magical and wonderful and, and when I say that I think maybe that's how we should be walking around I think that we could actually learn a lot from people in mania and and we often don't because we usually we usually experience people who are having you know a mental health crisis or something in the crisis phase when it seems all scary and meaningless and or scary meaningful we don't often are we're not often well sometimes people get helped when they're too happy and they're like thinking they're god and and grandiose and things that's it's not always in the terrified phase some people 
get too happy and do things like um, that get them, you know, say arrested um, because they think that whatever they think. But so I'm not saying that always happens, but the happy when a person is helped when they're happy, it's seen as pathological too, because it's gotten to the point like they're way too happy. And it's kind of sad that there's such a thing as way too happy. And that we capture people and then call them ill because they're way too happy. And, you know, it could almost be when a person gets to that place that they're way too happy. It's an, it's an internal subjective place that we all share. We all have that within us that we can feel like, wow, like everything's so amazing, perfect, beautiful. We are all one. We are all one with the creator or whatever you want to call it. And sometimes some of us get there. But it's internal and subjective in that if I was there internally and subjectively and feeling that absolute bliss and I was and I went around telling everyone, yeah, I'm going to seem crazy because they're not feeling it. And it's true for me, and it may be ultimately true on some level within us, but it's not something we experience on a daily basis because our daily basis isn't that experience. Like Daily basis is not, you're one with God, you're one with the Creator, we're all one. This is such a beautiful, magical world. Like That's not the story that we grow up with. That's not how we're conditioned. That's not how we're programmed. So some people get to the point where they deprogram themselves or something deprograms them and they feel that. And to say that's a disease, I don't feel that it's the whole story. Maybe it's dis-ease in that it causes dis-ease in other people. If I was in my you know, regular consciousness, somebody came up to me and was like, oh, I'm God and you're God and we're one. Actually, I would probably be like, oh, that's great that you feel that. Like, yeah, I, I agree. I don't feel it right now, but I agree that I've, you know, I've actually had that experience. So I, I can sense that. But it's not a daily reality experience. And it's not a, a an experience that I want to recreate and it's not even an experience that I can recreate maybe I could if I took some kind of drug but I wouldn't do that because it's a it's a beautiful experience but if I keep repeating it on purpose then it turns into just pleasure which you know it's just the same as eating a donut or watching too much of a really good show that's just a pleasurable experience but the one I had was uninvited by me, and I don't think it was created by me. To feel one with the creator, it's kind of created by the creator, um, which is maybe just the the subjectivity that we all share inside that we can we can experience the spectrum of of human consciousness and human emotions. But that doesn't mean that it's something that is great for daily life. Um, I feel like a lot more happiness would be good for daily life, like more like people that are experiencing mania. And then if somebody was manic and everybody in the world was 20% happier, the person wouldn't seem that crazy. They would probably not be met with so much skepticism, like, why are you so happy for no reason? Like, what do you mean no reason? Like, the world is a beautiful place. You could go outside and look at a tree and be an absolute rapture so there's reasons everywhere it's just the reasons we usually have as reasons are the reasons that we think are reasons so we're conditioned to say this is what happiness is and these are the reasons to be happy and to be happy for no reason which is actually infinite reasons infinite possibilities just not ones that people can actually see or maybe project linearly onto daily reality 
is to say like we shouldn't be happy and and I guess perhaps that's one reason why a lot of us aren't because we're seeking that thing that says this is what happiness is when perhaps if we just said what isn't happiness it's easier to see what isn't happiness than to see what is happiness So I've I've talked for a long time. I wasn't I didn't plan to talk for that long, but basically there's infinite reasons to be happy and something about the stories. So so thanks for listening and And I'm sure I'll talk about other stuff soon. This is just about, this is about revisioning this whole experience. And I think, I think I, I think I came across something when I was speaking in this video, which I'd never thought of before. And that is the example I gave of the stroke and how there was a lot of meaning in that experience and and even though the lady was turned into a near vegetable inside she was having the most incredibly blissful sublime subjective experiences that nobody knew that she was having that that whole time until she was able to tell us so the same way a person with psychosis having these incredible experiences. Some are blissful, some are sublime, some are hell. And we focus on the hell and we don't listen to some of the blissful and sublime stories. I'm not saying nobody does. And So even if it is a disease, it doesn't matter. What matters is having open conversation about some of these experiences. Thank you for listening to Bipolar Inquiry. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Remember, use your voice, craft your consciousness, embody your potential, enter a quantum paradigm. The Bipolar Inquiry podcast is not meant to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Information in this show is not medical advice. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode.